When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Just before we begin this episode, I just want to take a moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for the podcast, which is Steroplast Healthcare Limited. Steroplast Healthcare Limited, setting the standards across the seven sectors. If you don't already know of them, get onto their website, www.steroplast.co.uk, to look at some of the great products that they do. We've got the boxing wraps, the Sterotape Zinc Oxide Tape, We've also got the Stereotape Premium and the Stereotape K. Now, we've got World Fighter using this tape. We've got local fighters, including Charlie Schofield, Ben Sheedy, Jimmy Kelly, Callum Cook. They're all using this tape at the moment, and Steroplast are getting around to all the boxing gyms. You will be able to purchase these items from steroplast.co.uk get over to that website have a look because the stereotype and the stink oxide tape aren't the only things that they actually do they do provide equipment for emergency rooms for hospitals other sports they produce items for vets medical surgeries gps first aid defibrillators things of that nature so they're not just all about the stereotype and the boxing wraps get yourself over there and have a look www.steroplast.co.uk Welcome to episode 33 of Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. It's Sean Basto, your host as always. And I've got nobody on this week. No Carl Jennings, no Simon Mann. I wasn't able to get any of these guys on this week. Unfortunately, Carl had a severe reaction to what I believe was maybe the sun or some sort of infectious bite while he was away, unfortunately. And, you know, I wish him a speedy recovery and he should be back next week. But it's just me today. Just me on my own. What a strange situation to be in. 
it's the first podcast I've ever done. But it's literally just going to be me talking throughout it. And I hope that doesn't put anybody off. But the thing is, it's such a big week coming up for boxing. I couldn't not give it some coverage on the podcast this week. So, like I say, guys, it's just me this week. Just me all by myself. Yes, indeed, just me all by myself. Should be a good episode, though, still. You'll still hear me talking about the good things that have been going on in boxing this week, the good things that are to come this coming weekend. So let's listen to what's on the show this week. So, obviously, we're going to be going through what happened over the weekend. Quite a few good fights over the weekend, quite a few upsets, well, supposed upsets. And then we had the Ultimate Boxer over the weekend, which I was at. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. We've got This Week in Boxing History, and then we all also have big fight coming up next Saturday, which we will cover later on in this show. Plus it's undercard, and plus any other fights that are going on over the weekend of note. And then as always, we've got the news and gossip section, which we'll look to cover off all the news and gossip which has been going on in the past couple of days. As you know, it changes every single day. So as soon as this podcast records and it goes out tomorrow, everything could have changed. But let's get on with this show. Let's talk about what happened over the weekend. So I think really what I want to touch on is the big show over in the USA, the debut of Matchroom USA. Now, Eddie Hearn, as we know, he's going over there. He's, he's dipping his toes in the water. Uh, well, I wouldn't say he's dipping his toes. I'd say he's jumping in feet first. He, he doesn't care the fact that there's all these big promoters over in America. He's gone over there. He's put this show on this weekend. And it was a good show. Let's start by talking about the first one. The first one was Danny Jacobs going in against Zuleka, which no one had really seen a lot of Zuleka. In the, speed, in the build-up to this fight, I noticed he'd been sparring with local prospect Mark Heffron, which I thought was quite interesting because Mark is known as a bit of a banger himself. And... It would be a good sort of test for Mark as well, you know, having this type of sparring. But I wasn't sure what to expect out of this fight. And actually, it was a really, really good fight. So Lecky really did put it on Danny Jacobs throughout the fight. But Danny Jacobs, again, he's not just a good boxer. He can fight and he's shown in this fight, you know, how good he can be. And when he needs to go in the trenches, he will go in the trenches and dig deep. And it was a really, really good performance. And obviously, there was the knockdown in the final round, which I think I think for most people, the, the, the deal will already been sealed at this point you know the victory on the cards was already there but you know to put him down in the 12th round as well for Jacobs to put Selecki down it just kind of put that definitive stamp on the fight and Danny Jacobs he's still he's a force isn't he he's a force in this division and I think we you know when we talk about middleweights you think of Gennady Golovkin who we'll be talking about later on in the show you think of Billy Joe Saunders and the performances he's been putting on of lighting they're the sort of two names you're looking at obviously Canelo which we've touched on in a few episodes in the past few weeks because of what's been going on. But at the moment, we're really talking about like the Triple G's, the Billy Joe Saunders, but Danny Jacobs is there. Danny Jacobs, as we know, former world champion, looking to get a world title back. And I think after that performance, I think we're going to be looking at another good fight for him. And I think we're going to be looking at possibly, you know, a rematch with Gennady Golovkin in the future. People will probably listen to it, to this and go, well, actually, Canelo and Golovkin are going to fight in September. Yeah, you're probably right, guys. That is probably going going to happen because money talks in boxing as we know but Danny Jacobs I think he's worthy of a rematch against Golovkin some people thought 
And Jake has beat Golovkin in the first one. And then we've got Billy Joe Saunders, who's put in a career-best performance against David Lemieux. And he, he just seems to be getting better and better. He's got Martin Murray in June, which I, I do see him coming through that. I do see that. And all, all due respect to Martin Murray, but I do feel that Billy Joe Saunders is hitting his peak now. And this is where we're getting to see the best of him. And some, some are sort of saying, Billy Joe Saunders, he could be the one to dethrone Golovkin. You know, the boxing ability and the skill that he has. You know, the way he switches it up, the way he moves, the movement, the foot work yeah okay he hasn't got the definitive power that Golovkin has but he's got enough boxing ability to be able to make Golovkin miss and make him pay and and point score essentially you know the purest side of things which we talk about a lot on the show so it's going to be really interesting to see how Danny Jacobs gets thrown into this mix because he's a guy which I think could mix it up with Billy Joe Saunders and I, I would love to see that fight as well and I think that's a more realistic fight if I'm being totally honest with myself really when I talk about it I think Golovkin and Canelo is probably going to happen in September regardless of what's gone on money talks but Jacobs and Billy Joe Saunders well what a fight that could be I think that could be the one that a lot of people are underestimating that they're forgetting about this this is a fight that could really happen and a fight that people would want to see and I would pay to see it because I think it would be a really good fight I think we'd we'd see great class from the pair of them and I think out of that, you know, if we see the winner of that, we really, we're going to see the Golovkin fight eventually. And we're going to see, hopefully, the Golovkin-Saunders fight in the future. But it all really depends on how this goes and how it all gets mixed up in the future. So, yeah, a really good fight between Dan- Danny Jacobs and Selecki. The cards were a bit... I thought they were a bit wide. I don't know what everybody else thought about it, but I, I thought it, they were a bit wide. I mean, we had 116-112. 117, 110, and 115, 112. I think if I'm going to say any card that sounded sort of right, maybe the 115, 112 was probably the closest, I'd say. But the 117, 110, I don't think it was... I don't think it was that... Um, I don't think it was that wide, to be honest. I think the 115, 112 is the one that I'd say probably reflects the fight. Because obviously, the, you know, if it was 115, 113, if that knockdown wouldn't have happened in the 12th round, that's the sort of scorecard you would have been looking at. But no, I felt it was a bit wide, a bit unjustified on Selecki, who did put a good, good performance of himself in. Because really, not a lot of people knew who he was going into this fight. A lot of the casual fans that would have watched the fight and probably would have known Danny Jacobs, didn't really know who Selecki was, but they now no and he's still a guy that's going to be mixing around at that level hopefully we'll get to see him again you know maybe with another British contingent in the future but yeah overall really good fight and it was a really good fight to see on the matchroom bill and I think moving on to to the next fight on that bill which really impressed me was Jarrell Miller uh, beating Johan Dupiaz over 12 rounds. When I say it impressed me, I say it impressed me in the sense that I felt like I wasn't expecting Jarrell Miller to go 12 rounds and to see him go 12 rounds. It, it was kind of a, a, a nice little treat because I did question his stamina before this because I don't feel like he looks in the best heavyweight shape that you can be. I mean, if you compare him to you, the likes of Anthony Joshua and, and, and previously when Vladimir Klitschko was around, you know, they were both physical specimens. But Jarrell Miller doesn't really look like a physical specimen yeah he's a big guy beefy guy but you know he doesn't look ripped you know some might say he's just a little bit fat i mean i might be being a bit harsh there but that's that's kind of how we come across he comes across like a, a the body type of like your your dillian white and your Derek chisora as you know over in britain they're the types of body types you're looking at with jerell miller could he beat anthony joshua because that's the sort of fight they're lining up for him next anthony joshua against jerell miller do we, do we think we could see that? I think AJ would beat him, and I think the style AJ has, and we've seen in the Joseph Parker fight, 
he can box and he can fight as he's shown in the Klitschko fight. So every fight AJ goes through, we've sort of seen different things now as, as the tests are getting bigger. And Jarrell Miller, he's an undefeated fighter. He's been knocking a lot of his opponents out. This is the first time I've seen him go 12 rounds. I've not checked his record to see if he has gone 12 rounds previously. But this is the first time I've seen him do it. And when I watched that fight, I felt like... I was well. I was surprised. Like I said at the start, I was surprised that I seen him go the full distance. He, you know, I thought he would have knocked his opponent out. He did get caught with some big shots as well. You know, Doopy has his no slouch, as we know. We've seen him in with the likes of Povetkin in the past, and we've seen how you know he's done against these bigger guys. But we knew his, when he steps up, he was going to get beat. And this was the same instance, really. If Jarrell Miller could beat Doopy as, then. You, you know he was kind of going to that next level and he is, he's there now so he's going to be in potentially with Anthony Joshua at some point late summer so that'll be interesting to see how that one plays out but I, you know, I'm going to make an early prediction I do think that I'd expect AJ to walk through him if I'm being honest probably later on in the fight I wouldn't expect it to be a, a knockout I'd expect it to be a, a later later fight maybe even the full distance but Again, we're just one of them. It's one of them fights that you just got to wait and see what happens when it happens because the guy could fold in the first couple of rounds. But judging from what I'm seeing so far, I, I would expect it to be a, a long haul fight for that one. So that was a good fight. I enjoyed watching that. And then the main event for me was Katie Taylor becoming the IBF champion uh, as long as well as the WBA champion now beating Victoria Bustas over 10 rounds in what was an absolute classy performance. I mean, we spoke about Katie Taylor before and how good of a fighter she is and how she's transcending the sport over in Ireland and and being a woman as well and transcending the sport. She's in her first year as a professional fighter and she's won two titles, essentially unifying the division in some respects. Not a lot of people can say they've done that and I know the depths of the women's division isn't as big as what it is in the men's However, for her to have done that in her first year, it just goes to show all that amateur background, all that pedigree she's had, uh, has, has come through tenfold. And her style is certainly, certainly suited to the professional game. A really good performance from her on Saturday night. I was really, really impressed because I have seen her in, in the last few fights and sometimes I kind of felt like, yeah, she put a really good performance on there but sometimes I felt like mm, maybe there is someone out there that could really give it to her and, 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 and maybe beat her quite easily but this fight, again, just shown how classy she was and how much she's stepping up the gears. The tougher the opponent, the better the performance, I think, with Katie Taylor. She goes in against another tough opponent, the performance is going to get stepped up and we always say about you can only be as good as what's put for, put in front of you but this was that situation she was as good as what was put in front of her on the night it was really really good performance from Katie Taylor and I'm really happy for the Irish fans out there because we've got a lot of Irish fans listening to this show Cahill as we know is from Dublin he loves Katie Taylor he loves what she's doing for the sport and it's really good to see. I've followed Katie Taylor's career since the Olympics, and I've just seen how she's gone from strength to strength, but she's transcending the sport at the same sense, and, and that's the type of thing you want to see. The thing with women's boxing is, if you see a bad fight in women's boxing, it kind of puts you off it, and you're thinking, oh no, women shouldn't be boxing this, that, and the other. People have their opinions on that situation. However, when you get something like this, you, you just makes you realise that there are so many skilled female fighters out there and it's so good to see it on the telly and it's so good to see how skilled they are. I mean, on that performance, Katie Taylor could probably beat a lot of men at the same weight 
with that performance. She was really, really good. That's how good she was. And for anybody that didn't see it, then I suggest you go and catch it because that was a pure class performance from her. And I'm really looking forward now to seeing what happens in her career and how her career takes the next steps. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast about a potential fight in the future for Natasha Jonas, you know, Jonas Taylor, a repeat of the Olympics. Can it happen again? Well, of course it can happen again. And it's it's probable that it will happen again in the next 12 to 18 months, maybe even sooner. I mean, when Natasha Jonas is beating opponents the way she is, and Katie Taylor, yeah, she's obviously a step ahead because of where she's at in her career. But it's not going to be long before Tasha Jonas is up there with her. And then you're going to get to the point where this fight's going to have to happen. And I think at this moment in time, a lot of people will just say, well, Katie Taylor is too classy for Tasha Jonas. And that may be the case, but I think it's a big money fight, especially in Britain, it's a big money fight. You know, it could even be held in Ireland. It'd be good to see that over in Ireland, to be honest. But I think there'd be... It's the type of fight Eddie Hearn would probably put on a big bill in Wembley. But then again, you could see it, you know, selling out and headlining over, you know, in Windsor Park. So it's a situation where we're just going to have to kind of see how their two careers progress over the next 12 months. But as it stands, she's, she's by far, you know, one of the best female boxers out there. Not forgetting Cecilia Brackhouse who's fighting also this weekend coming up. Other than Cecilia, you've got Katie Taylor. That's the other name that springs to mind. I mean, all the casual fans that listen to to, to the podcast and and they follow the boxing, they love the big names, but they don't really know the in-depth details about all the boxers out there. And I mean, I don't, to be fair. I'm I'm no boxing expert. I'm a fan providing a service for her fans. But when you think of female boxers, you, you know, you, you, there's not really many that you can sort of say would appeal to the, the wider public audience. And Katie Taylor is one of them, as well as Natasha Jonas. And they're the sort of names that your mum would know or your grand would know. And Cecilia Brackhouse is another one over in America. She's another, you know, you go over to America and you talk about female fighters, you talk about Cecilia Brackhouse as well. And Clarissa Shields, of course. So th- there's only sort of a handful of names there in the f- in the female division. So it's good to sort of see how the ladies over here uh, are sort of starting to transcend female boxing for, for Britain and Ireland. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the careers progress over the next 12 months. But I want to move on now and go on to a couple of the other fights over the weekend. And the next fight, I spoke about this last week on the podcast and I took the mickey a little bit about uh, of Isaac Dogbo. Isaac Dogbo's name. I'd never heard of him before and I'd never seen him fight before. This was the first time I'd seen him fight when he fought Jesse Magdaleno. And wow, what a performance he put on as well. He got knocked down in the first round, if you've not seen it. He got knocked down in the first round. He come back and he absolutely turned the fight completely on its head. And he beat Jesse Magdaleno in the 11th round with a complete barrage of punches in the corner. And the referee had to stop it. Magdaleno was down. It was practically... I wouldn't say he was out on his feet, but you could see his eyes were completely glazed over at this point. And the referee made the right call in stopping that fight. But my word, was I wrong about this guy? Because this guy was someone, like I say, I'd never seen before, not really heard much about, looked at his record, not really seen he'd fought anyone of note, and kind of thought to myself, well, on paper, you're not expecting Dogbo to beat Magdaleno, and Magdaleno's kind of been in with the bigger fighters. So, when this fight happened, it was another one of them situations where a relatively unknown fighter comes out of nowhere... Essentially, you kind of think he's got a padded record, but then he comes in and did what Dogbo did on Saturday night. Great performance from him. 
really, really great performance. And it's, it's again, it's a situ- it's another situation where you just kind of assume that these guys who you don't know are just they're just going to get knocked over. Or they're just going to get beat, you know, quite handily and easily. But this wasn't the case. And I feel for Jesse Magdaleno because he he, he started to build a massive reputation for himself, and now. He's got to go back and rebuild. I'm sure he will rebuild after this performance. But for the people around Dogbo, I don't think it was a shock to them. I don't think it was a shock at all. I mean, he's still a very young lad. He's only 23. And you forget that. And when you look at him, you forget he's a 23-year-old. And he's kind of just come and come out of nowhere and kind of blitzed himself now to become the super bantamweight champ, the WBO super bantamweight champ. This is like a coming out party for him, essentially. We've seen it before in the past. And I, I say it about Timothy Bradley a lot because I, I can never forget when he came over here to the UK and he beat Junior Witter. And I didn't know who Tim Bradley was before that. And he'd been making a name for himself over in America. He comes over here, beats Junior Witter, and the rest is history with him. And he, he's kind of my example for that situation where you get a fighter like Isaac Dogbo has gone over, not really known by the, the wider audience, but goes in and beats the favourite and becomes the new WBO super champion, or super bantamweight champion. So it's now we're going to be looking forward to seeing where the respective careers go because you're going to want to see what Dogbo does next and you know who's going to go in with next. Is he going to go in with a big fighter himself or is he you know going to continue to sort of fight people that you don't really know of? Or it's it's so much to speculate on situations like this. Could we see a rematch? Could there be a rematch on the cards again? I'd, I'd like to say. There probably won't be at this point. I think they'll both move on respectively in their careers. And maybe down the line we'll we'll see something in the future. But Jesse Magdaleno, it's his only loss on his record now this. So he's got the opportunity to go away, rebuild, come back and come back stronger than ever. And that's what you want to see out of a fighter like Jesse Magdaleno. Because he's looked classy in his last few fights. And on this night, maybe, maybe they underestimated him. Maybe the team underestimated him. I don't know. But you're now looking at a guy who's propelled himself into stardom. And we're going to get to see how this plays out for the next 12 months. And sorry if I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot when I say the next 12 months. But that is exactly what I'm looking forward to, to seeing, really. I'm looking forward to seeing the next couple of fights of Dog Bowls and, and where it takes him. And whether it sort of puts him on a collision course with any of the British fighters. But moving on to another fight, which for me personally it was a was an upset. But maybe for other people it wasn't. So Kerman, Le- I can't pronounce his name. Jaraga, Jaraga, who beat Denton Vassell previously, as we spoke about on last week's podcast, he beat Bradley Skeet in the second round after knocking him down twice, and then the corner had to throw in the towel. I, I, I wasn't expecting that. I was, I was pretty gobsmacked if I was, if I'm being honest, because well, before this fight, we was talking about Skeet potentially fighting for the WVO version of the title in the future, and now that has completely been shattered after this. But then again, like I've just been saying about Isaac Dogbo, it's an, it's another scenario where you've got a guy who's relatively unknown, fought a lot of his bouts in Spain, fought one note on his record, which was Denton Vassell. Uh, with all due respect to Denton, he's not a world beater. You know, he was a great, great fighter. He's, he is still active. He was a great fighter. He got to a really good domestic level. But this was this was an opportunity for both of these fighters on this night to, to show who they were, for Skeet to potentially move on to world level, uh, and and Lagara to to potentially you know bring himself to the forefront of people's attention, and he certainly certainly did that, and he looks 
a massive puncher. And looking at his record, you can tell he's a massive puncher. You can only sort of go off what the record says. You know, he beats people by knockout. But who has he beaten before? Yes, Denton Vassell. He stopped Denton Vassell as well. And now he stopped Bradley Skeet, who was a well-respected fighter in the UK. So where does he go from here now? Bradley Skeet, where do you want to see him? I mean, I think he's got to go back and rebuild now because he had the loss uh, previously to Frankie Gavin and he come back and he rebuilt himself and now he needs to rebuild himself yet again. Do I see him challenging for a world title in the future? That's the question I've got to ask myself here. Could I have seen him before this fight? Yeah, possibly. Could I see him now? (laughs) I I find it difficult to sort of see Bradley Skeet going up against one of the big boys. But never say never in boxing because you know for a fact surprises happen and these were two surprises over the weekend for for a lot of people where was Isaac Dogbo becoming the super bantamweight champion and obviously Kerman uh, Lerjaraga becoming the European champion over the weekend so there you go I sort of covered off some of the big fights over the weekend there just a little note on um, the Arthur Abraham and Patrick Nielsen fight if you didn't catch that or catch the result Arthur Abraham won over the distance I shot Arthur Abraham a shell of his former self and he beats Patrick Nielsen which uh, was a surprise to me but now it kind of makes me feel that Patrick Nielsen is on the slide a bit now you know with all due respect to the fighters that have fought him recently I mean John Ryder did a bit of a demolition job on him on the World Boxing Super Series undercard uh, a couple of months ago and nobody expected that and now Alfred Abraham had enough left in the tank to beat him for me that's kind of Nielsen maybe he's, he's done at world level I don't really think he could go any further now than where he's at for Arthur Abraham do I want to see him continue fighting Uh, no I I don't I don't want to see him continue fighting Arthur Abraham with the greatest respect to him he was a he was a very 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 good fighter on his day and he's been in with some fantastic fighters you know future hall of famers and I just don't think there's anything there for him to do anymore I mean why, why is he fighting now what, what's he got left to prove he's, he's proven how good he was at middleweight he moved up to super middleweight it wasn't as good at super middleweight but there's nothing left for him to do now but he obviously sells well still in Germany and he's probably going to continue fighting on for another 12 months maybe we will see him in again in another big fight again but we'll just have to wait and see how, how his career progresses over the, the next uh, 18 months, whether we see him retire soon, we don't know. Another note was uh, Liam Cameron beating Nicky Gemman to defend the Commonwealth middleweight title that he won off Sam Sheeda. Uh, Liam Cameron was supposed to be fighting Mark Efron, I think, for the British, and that fell through a couple of months back. I'd like to see if the Mark Efron fight would come off, actually. That would be a, a really good one between Liam Cameron and Mark Efron, and I'd pick my boy Mark for that one, for sure. I think Mark Heffron, um on a side note, is for, for listeners, he's one to watch out for if you don't already know of him. He's a banger. Uh, he's trained over at Hatton's gym under Ricky Hatton, and he's definitely one you should be watching out for. So that sort of wraps it up for uh, the big, big fights over the weekend. But I want to go back to Friday night now. And Friday night was the inaugural event of the Ultimate Boxer Tournament, which I was there in attendance for Eat Sleep Boxing Repeat. What do I want to say about it? Well, you know what? It had a lot of criticism beforehand about the fact that it was a ripping off prize fighter and a lot of people will say it's just a rip off a prize fighter and I can understand why because it's a tournament in the same format that's why people are going to say that but I went to the Manchester Arena on Friday night and I got there I went through security goes in 
and I noticed straight away that obviously the half of the arena was shut off and I, I knew for a fact this would be the case because I knew with it being the inaugural event I wasn't expecting it to sell out the arena so when I got there and I noticed it was half shut off I thought yep yeah, I'm expecting this. this this is understandable and then I was a bit concerned as whether or not it was going to actually fill up or you know get a good audience because it's an event where the fighters that are on there are, are you know they're all novice pros essentially so not a lot of people know them apart from maybe your local areas. So you've got your guys from like Northampton, your guys over up in Sunderland, you got Andy Kremen who was obviously from Manchester. So you got all your local fans there cheering you on, fans, uh, family, friends, you know, all the rest of them that turn up to, to all the local shows. By, by the end of the night, it was a very, very good turnout, I thought. I, I will say that they should have done it in a smaller venue, because it would have had a better feel to it, much like the York Hall when the Prize Fighter tournament was in the York Hall. It's a very intimate venue. That would have been a perfect venue. If it was in Manchester, the Victoria Warehouse would have been the perfect venue for this because it would have. It was full. It looked full, but the atmosphere would have felt better on the night. But going to the show itself, going to the fights, it was really good. I'm not going to lie. It was a really good show. In the sense that you knew what you was going to get out of it. It was going to get some great action in a short space of time some knockouts some great entertainment uh, and that's what people want to come and watch let's be honest a lot of us you know they want to see people it's, it's a gladiatorial thing we want to see people fight we want to see people get knocked down knocked out it's brutal as it sounds that's what a lot of people want to see a lot of people want to see it and it delivered it did deliver. Now, when I was looking through the, the list of the fighters that were in there, obviously Andy Kremner, you know, I know very well from the local scene. Isaac McLeod I do know very well as well. And I knew he had a good support and I knew he was one of the favourites to win it. So when we got to the event and, and the fight started to happen, it was quick fire fights. You know, you had the knockout in the first fight, which uh, was quite shocking for me with, you know, Drew Brown, a guy that, again, I'd never heard of previously because he's a novice pro from Northampton. He comes in, he gets a great knockout, and then you get a previous white-collar fighter in Tom Young, who had a really good labouring performance in the first bout that he had. And then you got your second fight, and you had your uh, Andy Kremner going against Isaac McLeod, which was a really, really, really good scrap. And it was close. A lot of people argue that Andy Kremner won it, but it's a difficult. It's always going to be a difficult one. It's over three rounds. You get him gross in the action. Sometimes you can't always see whether all the punches are landing. It looked a lot like quantity over quality in that one, but it's what it's a situation where once it's been scored that way, you can't do anything about it. You have to accept it. Andy did. He wasn't. He wasn't overly happy about it, of course, because he's lost. It's his first loss on his record, but I've said this to him myself, it didn't, in this type of a tournament, it doesn't really mean a, a, a great deal, because if you look at the prize fighter tournaments, and look at the losses that people had in there, and how they've gone on to change their career, i.e. Sam Eggington, then it just, if anything, it rises your stock as a fighter, and it's a good opportunity for local fighters to come on the show at 4-0, 5-0, 6-0, 7-0, whatever it is, it's a good opportunity for them to make some extra money, and it's a good opportunity for the stock to rise, because it was on Unilad, which is a, a very well-followed and well-liked social media page, and then it was on channel 5 from 9 o'clock as well so it had some great coverage really and it was a Friday night and you don't really get a lot of boxing on Friday nights anymore so that was really good so it was really really 
happy to be there, happy to be in the atmosphere, happy to sort of see what was going on, happy to see the fights because they were, they were action packed. You expect this type of thing in a three round fight. It was really, really good. I mean, we had Sam Taffy Evans in there, we had. Andy Kremner, Isaac McLeod, these are three fighters that I, I consider to be known uh, across the, especially across the Northwest. And then you have the guys like Drew Brown, uh, Tom Young. I mean, Tom Young's stock must have risen quite a lot after this one because he was a former white qualifier. Now, he knocked out Isaac McLeod in the first round of the semi final for people that, you know, didn't watch this. That was a shock for me. Uh, you know, as soon as that fight was sort of confirmed after the quarterfinal. All the people in the media sections were going, oh, well, he's got no chance, you know, a former white qualifier against a, a silver medalist, uh, I think he in the Commonwealth Games or something of that nature. And nobody was giving Tom Young a chance at all. But when he got in there, he, he just put it on Isaac McLeod straight away. Uh, and he just caught Isaac McLeod cold on two occasions and he went down and the referee had to wave it off uh, and it was a shock and a lot of people were shocked but that's what prize fighter you know the prize fighter style and now the ultimate boxer style that's what it brings to the forefront it brings you the action it's short distances short bursts you know they always talk about people being four round fighters and five round fighters but you know this is perfect for people who can fight in bursts like this and it was a, again it was it was a really good show in, in that respect for people to sort of see the action and the crowd loved it the crowd lapped it up i knew people personally that had, you know that wasn't massive boxing fans that had gone to this because they knew what was going to happen they knew what to expect in it and Eventually, Drew Brown picked up the victory and the prestigious golden robe presented by Ricky Hatton. And, and that's, that's going to change his career. Not just the money aspect of it now, but people know him as the ultimate boxer winner. So it's, it's, it's a title on his record. You know, People might say, oh, so it's just another one of the things that'll come and go. But if it keeps doing well, it's not going to just come and go. It'll stay for a while. I really enjoyed it. A lot of people I know really enjoyed it. <coughs> and if you've watched it... Let me know. Did you really enjoy it? Because I think it's it's a good it's a good break from your standard your standard boxing style, your standard ten, eight, ten, twelve round fights, and, and you see the same overmatched cards that you see on different shows across the world. You just get fighters that are relatively you know unknown in the career. So, you know, if it was like, if it threw in a bigger name, for example, maybe it would have brought some more attention. But I like the concepts of what they've done here. They've got four, uh, not four, I've got eight undefeated welterweights, relatively unknown in the wider boxing world, and they've threw them in, and they've delivered. And it's a, it's a good format. I've always liked the format, and I really look forward to seeing how many more events they do, what divisions they do them in, and whether they'll start maybe trying to give bigger fighters opportunities in it, or whether they'll stick to the same format. Whichever way they do it, it was a good show. I think the only criticism of that show was Big Nasty. He was, I'm sorry, but he was poor. He was poor. He comes out to a Craig David track and just shouts over it, basically. I didn't feel he was a very good uh, entertainment. I'm sorry, guys, if, you know, whoever's an ultimate boxer, guys, listen to this podcast and they go, oh, don't, don't book him again. You know, he's a funny guy. 
there's some funny stuff that he says, or, or, you know, off camera, but he, he's not the greatest of entertainers, I don't think, personally. But yeah, Ultimate Boxer, really good show. I really, really personally enjoyed it. And I think if, if you love your boxing, you've got to you've got to give it a go. You've got to give it a try. Because I've seen some shows that are absolutely shocking, especially, you know, when pay-per-view ones, and you pay 20 quid for them. And then... You just see a load of overmatch fights. This this was well worth it. This was well worth watching it. And it was free. You didn't pay anything to watch this. You go on social media and watch it for a couple of hours. And you go on Channel 5 and watch it. I'm sorry, but for, for what you get, brilliant. You know, brilliant. So, that's my take on Ultimate Boxer. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to the next section of today's show. Now, it's the section I love so dearly. It's this week in boxing history. So the first one on the list, I'm starting from the 1st of May here. It's the 30th of April today, and it's the 1st of May tomorrow, and I wanted to start from the 1st of May. So the first one that I've come up with for the 1st of May 2010 was Floyd Mayweather beating Shane Mosley. Remember that fight? You will do, because you'll remember Shane Mosley catching Floyd Mayweather with that shot which rocked him to his boots and nearly made him touch the canvas for the first and only time in his career. Wow, he clung on for dear life in that one. I will never forget it. And I think the crowd loved it. And we've always, I've always talked about Mayweather as a guy, you either love him or you hate him. And if you hated him, that was the moment where you just thought, yes, yes, he's going down. This is it. Floyd Mayweather, that cocky son of a gun, is going down on his backside. But he clung on for dear life on Sugar Shane Mosley. And he managed to, to stay in there, get through it. And for the rest of the fight, he just dominated Shane Mosley. Let's, let's have it right. But that moment in time was just, it was seconds of madness where you, you you genuinely thought, this undefeated fighter who's brash, he's cocky, he's full of himself, he's going down. And then he st- <laughs> somehow managed to keep himself up. Hey-ho. But what a fight it was. If you've not seen that one and not seen that moment in the third round, go on YouTube and watch it because that's the only time you'll probably ever see Floyd Mayweather nearly go on his backside. Going forward to the 2nd of May, and we're going back to 2009. This is quite a sad one for me personally. Because if you've listened to the podcast from day one, or you've followed the stuff that I do on Eat Sleep Boxing Repeat, you will know that Ricky Hatton is one of my favourite fighters of all time. And yeah, there's there's hundreds of fighters out there that you know could be classed in that. But personally for me, I felt emotionally connected to his journey in boxing. And this moment in the 2nd of May 2009, it, it, it ruined me. Because I was so devastated for him. And if you know, if you remember this one, it was Manny Pacquiao versus Ricky Hatton. And it was Ricky Hatton on the comeback trail thinking, you know, could he go there? Could he potentially go back in and become that world champion once again? And he come out and he come up with the wrong game plan essentially in that fight. Trained by Floyd Mayweather Sr. And I don't want to talk about the stuff after the fight. I want to talk about the fight. He come out with a complete run tactics. He got blasted out of there and he got knocked out in one of the most brutalist fashions you will ever see in boxing and it's a a knockout that will always be on highlight reel knockouts on YouTube because it was that brutal the left hook that he got caught with was brutal and unfortunately it sort of sent him into a spiral of depression and and some of the issues he's had in his personal life afterwards and it was quite a, a, a a sad moment for me personally because I've always loved Ricky Atten as a fighter, and for me that was just, 
quite devastating to see that happen to him to be honest but again it's, it's one of them this is what happens when you're a boxing fan you get emotionally connected to, to fighters and unfortunately when they get beat it does devastate you and it really did devastate me on that night but let's move on to another one we're going to the 3rd of May 1997 now I remember the 3rd of May 1997 and I remember the fights that I'm going to touch on for you here because this was, uh, I think this bill, was it the Full Monty bill? I think it was the Full Monty bill. I think it was in Sheffield. I can't be 100% certain. No, it wasn't. Oh yeah, it was. I can't, you know what? I can't remember. It's going to, it's going to escape me. But I remember Robin Reed beating Henry Wharton to retain the WBC super middleweight title in what was an absolute slugfest of a fight and a fight you must watch on YouTube. For people that love the boxing and know of Robin Reed and his fights with Calzaghe, Svenokka, the robbery he had there, this was a fight that if you didn't see him earlier on in his career, you should watch because it was an absolute war. But on that same bill, you had Nassim Hamed knocking out Billy Hardy in the first round and I, I vaguely remember the build up to this and I remember him coming out in I think it was like some sort of American shorts or something like that it's like Apollo Creed style shorts and I, I remember him just getting sparked in the first round by Nassim Hamed uh, at this point in his career was uh, an animal and uh, I, again another favourite of mine growing up and then the final fight on that same card was local fighter, the Viking Steve Foster, in a WBA super welterweight fight against Ronald Winky White. Unfortunately, Steve Foster didn't win on this night. He, he lost in round number six by a TKO. And at that point in time, Steve Foster was probably more known to the older generation at that point because I was only like 11, 12 at this point. And I, I do remember, obviously, the, the, the fights happening. But Steve Foster wasn't like one of my favourite guys at that time. But looking back in hindsight, he was a very good fighter for Manchester for sure. But Winky Wright, you know, the stuff he went on to do in boxing was, was also really really good so it was um crazy to think about like winky winky right fighting over here after all the bills he was over on in america but yeah there were three fights that was on that particular card that when you look back on that now it's like it's crazy to think about it but it was a really good night for boxing and i do remember it now moving on to the 5th of may 2007 in what was the biggest richest money fight of all time at this point it was floyd mayweather again going in against oscar de la hoya in the super welterweight title fight in what was a very very close fight and again I, I remember this one as well because this was a tale of two halves some people still to this day think Delahoya won it but it, it wasn't the case I, th- I think looking back on it Flo Mayweather didn't, did win this particular fight but when you watch it back you felt like Oscar Delahoya at halfway point was definitely winning he was you know he could have even argued he was winning by seven rounds at the at the, at the end of it but when I look back on it a few I've watched it a few times actually and I go back and I think to myself actually Floyd he did win that fight just but it was a very close fight the biggest money fight at the time with the two biggest fighters at the time really really good piece of boxing history a really good one to go and watch actually go and watch it on YouTube and tweet me your thoughts let me know what your thoughts are because I'd be interested to see how people still score this to this day because still there's always debate about this particular fight and the final one was the 7th of May 2005 in what was probably one of the best fights in boxing history for sure and one of my personal favourite fights as well it was Diego Corrales against Jose Luis Castillo what a fight that was what a back and forth fight that was you just felt like you couldn't you couldn't say he was going to win because at one point Castillo was out on his feet and Corrales 
was winning and then Castillo would catch him with a shot and then Corrales would be out on his feet and then you just think it was a, such an exciting fight to watch at the time and still such an exciting fight to watch even now it's a fight that stands the test of time and it's 13 year old fight and if you go back and watch that now I promise you now that you won't regret it because that is such a good fight Diego Corrales did beat Castillo in the 10th round but please go and watch it if you love your boxing, go and watch this fight because this was an absolute cracker, a war. And, you know, rest in peace to Diego Corrales. You know, he was such a fantastic fighter and he was in so many wars. And he just unfortunately passed away too soon. And it just sort of begs the question, what other big fights would he have been in? Should he have still been here? But yeah, that that is this week in boxing history. Some absolute pearlers and corking fights on there this week so i want to move on and i want to go to this week coming up and really there's only one place we can start the best version of david Hay does not beat me i can't see any version of him that can beat a version of me there's no matter what he does no matter how hard he hits me no matter how many times he hits me he's not gonna win he can't win he cannot beat me i'm training for this fight as though it is my last fight so I'm doing everything possible to make it as entertaining, explosive and devastating uh, as possible. Yes, it's David Hay versus Tony Bellew 2, the rematch. Been looking forward to this one for a little while and it's finally upon us this coming Saturday. It's on Skybox office and I cannot wait for this fight because there were so many questions left unanswered in the first fight. And it's a love him or hate him kind of fight because a lot of people love Tony Bellew and a lot of people hate him and a lot of people <laughs> just hate David Hay. <laughs> I can't even say a lot of people love him because I don't think there's a lot of people out there that really do love him as a fighter anymore. But going back to the two fighters, let, let me give me my analysis on this situation. So as fighters, Tony Bellew has, has, has turned me around. Now people might argue the toss with me on this and say, I can't stand the guy even what you say. Now I think back to when he was fighting down at light heavyweight and he was draining himself to make that weight and there were some of the fights that he went into where the attitude he had going into the fights and the press conferences and weigh-ins was just for me was disgusting and it was a it was a right sort of turn off as a boxing fan I, I didn't like it I didn't respect it and I appreciate he was trying to sell his fights at the time but I really didn't like the way he was going about it and then after he got beaten by Adonis Stevenson he was humbled and then he came back and then look how he's turned his career around Look how the attitude of him is changed around. Yeah, okay, he throws in the F-word and the F-bombs now and again. But he does make a lot of sense when he talks. And if you've watched him on Sky as a pundit, he knows what he's talking about. And I've grown to respect him, not just as a fighter, but as a person that's kind of changed his persona in boxing. And and it's like in, in wrestling, they have baby faces and heels. And Tony Bellew was a heel as a you know the bad guy essentially and now he's kind of like the good guy now and it's the same with David Hay he's he's like done a turn as well because at one point he was Britain's hope for being a long-standing heavyweight champion when he won that first world title against Valuev we loved it we couldn't get enough of it and I personally love the fact that he was doing something really good as in moving up from cruiserweight unified that division to come up to heavyweight to then beat the biggest guy in boxing at the time as in 
giant. And then he goes on, beats people like Ruiz, and then goes on, and then he goads the Klitschko's, and he finally gets that fight with Klitschko in 2011. I so, so hoped that he would beat Klitschko at that time. And then he just didn't seem anything like he was in his previous fights. He comes out at the end, pulls his toe out, and I'm like, what the hell has he just done here? And it was at that moment I lost respect for him as a fighter for doing that, because he didn't have to do that. He should have just said he got beat by the better man on the night. But in typical David Hay fashion, he just pulls his toe out and goes, well, I broke my toe. What do you want me to do about it? Don't fight. If it's going to affect you that much, don't fight. Don't go through with it. Or just don't say it. Just say you got beat by the better man. At least tell a porcupine. Don't pull your toe out. That's the moment I lost a lot of respect for him as a fighter. And from then on, I kind of really... He fell off my radar then. You know, he had the fight with Chisora. That was an interesting one. The, you know, the uh, the press conference after the Chisora Vitaly Klitschko fight when there was the scrap. You know, it, it made headlines around the world, that one. But after that, I, I, I didn't really got to pay any attention to him anymore. I'd lost it. And then when he came back and he pulled out of the two Tyson Fury fights... And then he comes back and he fights two guys that clearly weren't fit to be in the ring with someone of his calibre. And then he goes in against Tony Bellew. And the build-up to that first fight, it, it was a, it was definitely a face-and-a-heel situation. David Hay was trying to be the bad guy completely. He was trying to be a guy that just said, I'm going to beat him no matter what. Tony Bellew ain't going to beat me. Never going to beat me. He's never going to do this. He's never going to do that. He made himself look like a complete knob. And I think a lot of people agreed on that one. He sat on his boat, trading on his boat, doing all these things, you know, like, why? Just why are you doing this stuff? And then when Bellew came on the telly it was like he's doing it i know he says this phrase all the time i'm doing it for my family but you can kind of sense that he is genuinely that's all he cares about now he just cares about securing a massive future and a really great future for his kids which i can relate to so between now and that build-up I, I did show bias towards tony bellew because i wanted him to win and i wanted him to win in a fashion because of the way david hay was so arrogant and cocky about the situation and in the fight although the judges had david hay up at the point when his Achilles went. Felt like Bell that it was Bellew's fight. And I felt like Bellew was the one kind of still controlling the fight, even though the judges had him down. He was still the one that was dictating how the fight was going. And he made David Hay miss a lot and made him look very slow at times. He seemed to be a bit of a shell of his former self. And this was from a guy who who'd who was gone to cruiserweight, moved up to heavyweight. Some might say, you know, he ain't got the best physique in the world, but he can bank which is true, and I was loving it. I was loving the fact that Bellew was, was he, he knew, he, he just knew, and you just knew he could take him that night. Yes, so the Achilles goes, I think it was the fifth round, and then that's when we see this tide start to turn in this one. We see David Hayes' wobbly jelly leg. At first, when I seen it, I thought Bellew had hit him with a shot, and I thought he'd gone jelly legged, but then I realised something was seriously up, and his leg was injured, and I just thought to myself, well, is the fight going to be stopped here, or are they just going to carry on? And seemingly, they just carried on, and obviously people are going to criticise Bellew for not being able to knock out a one-legged Hay but he's, he's did, you know, Hay did his best he could do to try and defend himself but whilst he tried to slug it out at the same time and I did gain a little bit of respect back from him at that point because he fought on with a, an Achilles injury which I've never had one and I can't imagine what it feels like but it must be painful and by all accounts it is very painful so I've got a lot of respect for him for doing that but really he should have he should have stopped the fight there and then really and we won't have all these unanswered questions but then again we might not had the, the 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 rematch you know we might not have been a call for it but there was more of a call for it because of the fact that there was the injury and a lot of people were doubting whether tony bell you could have gone on to continue and win the fight which i think he would have 
again, that's just my opinion, which could be worthless. <laughs> but it's a situation where you, you, you think your man's going to win. This happens, changes the complete tone of the fight, and then we don't get the same fight we once we once had, which was a really good back and forth fight between the two at the time. So this is a good opportunity now to see if it was just a fluke from Tony Bellew, uh, and if what David Hay is saying in all the press conferences is right, which I don't agree. I mean, I, I'm again, I feel like a bit of bias towards Bellew. I feel like he is going to win this one, and I feel like he will finish what he started the first time round. And I fully fit Hay. He's a 38 year old man now, he hasn't got the spring in his step he once had, I don't think he's got the speed he once had he's packed on a lot of muscle, don't think he's the same fighter he once was so I can't see it going in some sort of devastating fashion say like maybe the Hey Macronelli fight, that's you know a long time ago now, it's like 11 years ago, can't see that happening, I can see another close fight if I'm being honest And I, I, they say there's going to be a knockout and they say it ain't going to go 12 rounds but I get the feeling it might just go 12 rounds this time, unless some freak injury happens again, which surely lightning can't strike twice in this one but I'm really looking forward to seeing how it pans out and from a fan perspective taking myself out of you know trying to be an unbiased judge on this one I want Tony Bellew to win because I don't think David A has really got a lot left to give I mean what happens if he wins this he's going to call out AJ I think AJ would beat him I really do I think Tyson Fury would beat David Hay at this point and he's only just coming back so I, I do I do want to see Tony Bellew win that's my prediction for the fight I do think Tony Bellew will win I can't see it being a knockout though I do got, I got this feeling it's going to go 12 rounds but we'll just wait and see and see what happens on the night don't like I say don't take that don't go and bet, bet your house on that prediction because it is just a prediction and I could be totally wrong and David Hay could go in there and shot the world and knock Tony Bellew out and then we, you know we could see a, a third fight you never know money talks but let's move on to the undercard of that because it is a pretty decent undercard. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I find that this is a better undercard than, than what we've had recently in terms of matched fights. So on the undercard of this fight, we've got a really cracking fight in John Ryder versus Jamie Cox. Now Ryder's coming off the back of the win over Patrick Nielsen and then Cox is obviously rebuilt from losing to Groves. He beat uh, Harry Matthews, I think it was March he beat him. So he's coming back, he's looking to try and get himself back into the middleweight picture. So it's going to be a fight really for both of them. Whoever wins it really is going to go on and, and potentially go and challenge for maybe some sort of European or or maybe even put himself in the world picture to be honest. You, you just never know what's going to go on with this, this particular one. But it's a good fight and it's a really matched fight for the card. It's the same with the next fight as well. You've got Lenroy Thomas going in against Joe Joyce. How many times have we talked about Joe Joyce in this podcast about him wanting to step up and we want to see him step up and now we're finally getting it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think Lenroy Thomas is a world beater. He's the Commonwealth champ. Unfortunately, the fight with David Allen recently ended in the bad cut, which stopped the fight. So we'll never really know if, if Allen could have got his redemption in that one. But Joe Joyce got a new opportunity now to beat somebody who holds a Commonwealth title he can walk away with a Commonwealth title after this one and I think he won't be long before he goes on the British scene we've got the Huey Fury and Sam Sexton fight on the 12th of May coming up so he's going to have an eye on that one as well and I think obviously Hay now he's sort of more into the promoting side with the shows and I think he's going to try and push for a potential British fight in the future this definitely this year anyway for sure but I'm happy to see him progressing Joe Joyce on because this is what I, I personally wanted to see I wanted to see whether he's got it or not and I think this is a good test it's a step up from what he's been fighting especially when he fought the uh, Donny Palmer <laughs> not long ago that was um, you know a bit ridiculous that, that, that opponent but this is a, a big step up for him now 
and if he passes this test then we get to see whether he can pass the next test which would be the British title for me so I'm really looking forward to seeing how Joe Joyce does on that night we've also got a really good fight in Martin J Ward versus James Tennyson which is for the Euro and WBA international titles on the line now Tennyson uh, for people who don't know him has only lost to Ryan Walsh um, when he fought for the British title he has got another loss in his record but this one is, is the more notable one against Ryan Walsh back in 2016 so he has been up there he's been in for a British title and Martin J Ward as we've seen in recent fights seems to be progressing quite well and he seems to be really starting to step up the gears now so this is really a situation for Martin J Ward where if he comes through this test I think we're going to sort of start to see a couple maybe defences of the Euro title and then I think that's when they're going to start talking about pushing him into world rankings and pushing him you know maybe for a potential world title fight in the future which I don't think it's I don't think it's past him at all I think he could, could get in there and mix it with some of the best in that division but I'm, I'm interested to sort of see how his, his fight with Tennyson comes up because Tennyson is no slouch and I think on his day he, he could beat a lot of the fighters in that division and I wouldn't put it past him beating Martin J Ward but I'll just give the slight edge to Martin J Ward in this one also on the bill we've got Jordan Gill Joshua Boatese and Willie Hutchinson uh, another interesting addition to the guard is Michael Venom Page the former MMA fighter turned professional fighter for the light heavyweight division I think we've seen his last fight I think it was on was it Dave Channel Dave I think it was I think it was a lot of criticism for that one for the way he, uh, the way he sort of uh, acquitted himself in that particular fight so that'll be good to see and see whether or not he's improved I think it'll be debatable, of course, but it will be really good to see whether there's any sort of developments from that. And he's a character on the mic, so it's something that a lot of people will want to see and see how his career progresses as well. So, pretty good card in that respect. And we've also got another world title uh, on the line on this particular one, and it's the vacant IBF title, and it's Paul Butler's chance against Emmanuel Rodriguez. Emmanuel Rodriguez, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when it was announced that he's a guy that's only really fought in Puerto Rico. I think he's fought once or twice outside of Puerto Rico, but he's kind of kept himself within his home country. So I think if I'm going to go for picks in this one, I think I'll be going for Paul Butler. I've not seen a lot of Rodriguez. Don't feel he's going to be the one that's going to going to take the decision in this one but again I said this about Isaac Dogbo last week I thought he might you know he's a relatively unknown fighter and now he's he's, he's come up and he's become the super bantamweight champion so I could be totally wrong in this one as well but I think overall it's going to be a good card I talk a lot about the cards that different promoters put on this is a bit more of a 50-50 one for me it's not overmatched there's not so many overmatched fights on it your Joshua Bawati fight yeah you probably will expect that to be maybe a little bit of an overmatched one your Michael Page one yeah probably that one too your Jordan Gill one I wouldn't expect that one to be too much of an overmatched one because of where he's at in his career obviously you've got your, your Ryder Cox fight your Tennyson Ward uh, your, your Butler Rodriguez and then your, your Hay Bellew so decent card definitely worth watching looking forward to that one on Saturday night just to want to put a side note as well to the VIP boxing promotion show that's on over at the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester which uh, features light heavyweight prospects Lyndon Arthur and Charlie Schofield Charlie Schofield's currently 14 and now he's definitely going to be pushing up for that light heavyweight British title I'd like to say in the next 12 months be interesting to see how Charlie gets on Lyndon Arthur really good prospect one that a lot of people are talking about in the boxing community one that a lot of people think he's going to go on to do big things in that division a lot of other local fighters on the card as well which will be good so I'm looking forward to kind of catching up with that over the weekend as well Uh, but let's move on and go across to America and let's talk about the big fight over in America Triple G supposed to be fighting Canelo on this night this was supposed to be an absolute fantastic night of boxing with Triple G and Canelo going at it but instead we've got a very late 
announcement in Triple G versus Vane's Martissian for all the middleweight titles, obviously by the one that Billy Joe Saunders holds. But Martissian hasn't fought two years, and I didn't realise he'd not fought for that long until I was doing a bit of research on him. Now, I knew of him because I knew he'd been beaten in the past by Eris Landed Lara, Demetrius Andrade, and Jamel Charlo. So when he has stepped up to the big time level, he has lost on them three occasions. Doesn't give me much hope for any sort of a performance against Triple G. I think Triple G, at this moment in his career, outshines all them three names that are on Matissian's record. So I am expecting mid to late stoppage for this one for Triple G. It'll be good to see, though. Good to see Triple G back in action. Obviously, we've not seen him out for a while, so it's going to be really good to see how he gets on and whether he takes his frustrations of the Canelo fight out on Matissian and that's one. But it's going to kind of feel like a bit of a bitter taste in people's mouth because they was expecting to see Canelo Golovkin too. And we ain't getting it. And then we was expecting to see Golovkin, Spike or Sullivan. So I don't know if, if, if a lot of people will want to tune into this. Because they're kind of expecting, like I'm saying here on paper, you're expecting an easy Triple G win. And I, I do genuinely believe that that will be an easy Triple G win. So I will be catching it, don't get me wrong. But I, it's not something I'll be staying up for to watch. Because I, I think it's going to be a one-sided fight. So we'll just have to wait and see. You know, come Sunday morning, what happens? I wake up and there's going to be another shot result on the cards. I highly doubt it. But it'll be good to see. And it'll be good to see Triple G back in action. And hopefully, we'll get to see maybe a future Triple G Spike O'Sullivan fight. Who fights this weekend as well? On the 4th, which is the Friday. Uh, he's got an opponent finally announced now. So we're really looking forward to seeing Spike O'Sullivan back in the ring this weekend. It's going to be a little bit of a bitter, bitter pill to swallow, I suppose, for Spike. Because he nearly had that fight. But he made the right decision in turning it down for, for little money. Hoping that the potential fight in the future will come for bigger money, which he's thinking of his family, he's thinking of himself, and I don't blame him for that. And it's a decision that he either may live to regret or he may live to to, to realise he made the right decision at the time. But either way, it's going to be good to sort of see how he does on the 4th and whether he gets that big fight in the future but yeah Triple G Matissian is really the main big fight over in America this weekend so it's it's quite quiet over there normally you get a bigger a bigger card over there but there that's really the main fight of, of, of the American cards this weekend but let's move on to the final segment of the show which is the news and gossip section so news and gossip for this week then I think the biggest piece of news and gossip that we've had in the past week is probably the negotiations for the Anthony Joshua Deontay Wilder fight now we've heard that there was a big offer put on the table of 50 million dollars to the Joshua side and then if I come out that they actually it was just a bullshit offer and it was just a PR stunt which was quite disappointing to hear because I really started to think that we was actually going to get somewhere with this and we was actually going to get potential negotiations for a fight in the future but it does feel like a lot of a PR stunt and maybe it's just they're pushing for more money in this one I hope I hope that this gets sorted and I hope it actually does come off because we've seen this happen before the negotiations for big fights and it never ends up coming off and it's always about the petty little things like money and uh, who coming to the ring first and where it's being held and at the end of the day you just want to get this fight signed, sealed and delivered and we want to see it and I kind of feel like we're getting there when we take one step forward we're taking two steps back but We'll have to wait and see sort of how the next couple of weeks progress because now we're hearing that there's going to be a further offer made from Eddie Hearn's side. So hopefully he will give them a better offer that will get them to actually sign a bloody deal. 
because we want to see this fight. Everybody wants to see this fight. Let's get it on, finally. And, you know, we don't know well there's even getting Michael Rappaport involved. How he doesn't like the British accent. Well, guess what, Michael Rappaport? I don't like your accent, mate. And you, why don't you come over here and say that to Andy Joshua's face? Because I don't think you got the balls to do that, have you, pal? <laughs> but I'm really looking forward uh, to, to sort of seeing how it does progress because although it is frustrating it is interesting at the same time and it is exciting the thought of these two finally going at it so i hope that we get this in the next week and i hope the next few episodes of the podcast kind of progress that over and by the end eventually by the end of may we actually get an announcement for the fight so there's one piece for for this week it's probably i wouldn't say it's gossip because it's just sort of stuff that's been floating around social media uh we've also seen Errol Spence's fight announcement for June the 16th against Carlos Acampo. Uh, we've also seen Cal Yafai announced a fight for the Super Flyweight WBA defence on May the 26th against David Camona. So there's another fight that's been announced for this week. So good to see Cal Yafai back out. Don't think it's going to be the fight everybody wants to see. But it's still a fight, it's still a world title fight. And I'm sure the British fans will get behind Cal Yafai. Also good to see... Tyson Fury back on form as always. <laughs> His uh, comments about uh, Terry Flanagan and a hooker quite funny this week in the press conference although I'm not sure why that press conference actually happened because there wasn't actually an announcement of an opponent so about about two weeks ago we heard he was coming back on June the 9th and they did a press conference for that and then two weeks later we get another press conference yeah there was obviously a lot of undercard fighters announced for it but we still didn't get an opponent for him I'm still quite sceptical about who this opponent is actually going to be there's been so much talk about him fighting potentially Shannon Briggs in the future there's talk of him fighting Kevin Johnson I don't know why that talks come up because he's already fought and beat him before and that'd be a bit silly to have that one so i want to i want to see a good announcement i want to see a good fight that's what i want to see but at the moment i'm a bit skeptical of it all so we're gonna have to just keep our eyes and ears peeled to see what actually happens with regards to this one in terms of other bits of news and gossip this week i don't know if anybody's seen the uh, back and forth between spike o'sullivan and dan raphael over in america there was having a bit of a to-do over the fact that uh, Spike O'Sullivan didn't take the Golovkin fight which we were talking about a little bit earlier and Dan Raphael was giving him a bit of stick over there and it kind of got a little bit personal actually I think <laughs> it was funny but it was a bit personal O'Sullivan tweeted out a picture of a fat guy sat behind a computer who, who actually did look like Dan Raphael uh, eating a lot of food and, and I think he's kind of implying that he doesn't have a clue sometimes what he's talking about and Polly Malinaji got his sort of two pence in and he, he, he I love partly because he says it as it is most of the time and he was saying that at the end of the day he's made a decision which he thinks is best for his career and if it turns out to be the right decision then he's going to throw it back in everyone's faces by course 11 but if it turns out to be the wrong decision it's a lesson learned it's just part of life we all have to go for it at some point we all have to make a decision that impacts on the future whether it be positive or negative so there was another <laughs> bit of interesting information going on this week um, I've not really seen anything more about the World Boxing Super Series I'm hoping that there's going to be some more announcements on that soon because I really want to get the final announcement but I have heard that Anue Nao Anue is uh, rumoured to be in the uh, bantamweight one uh, the fe- uh, bantamweight or featherweight one that'll be good if that actually happens so I want to hear more about that coming on in the next couple of weeks and hopefully we'll get a final final announcement uh, and then you know anything else that's come up this week I think we've kind of already seen and heard about what's going on 
you know, we've got the, the big fights coming up. We've got the press conferences and fight week for Hey Bellew too. We'll hopefully hear some more about uh, Canelo uh, and where he stands in the next couple of weeks. And then we're hopefully going to be hearing a bit more about what's going to be happening in the future for Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. I think that about wraps it up, to be honest with you, for today's episode. I don't think there's much more I can cover off. I mean, if there's stuff that I've missed off this week's episode, then I apologise. It's pretty difficult doing a singular episode on your own, just talking sort of at people and not really getting a response when you're doing a podcast. It is a quite a difficult one to do, I must admit. But for anybody that's listened to this episode and enjoyed it, then thank you, because I feel it's a difficult one to have done and... I don't think it'll have been the best episode that we'll have ever done, but I don't think it's by far the worst either. I think there's been some good stuff covered off in this week's show. And obviously this week, in terms of interaction, I would appreciate, guys, if you just drop me a message on Twitter, you know, at Sean Basto ESBR, or obviously at BTR Boxing Pod. Give us a shout on any of them, uh, and we can have a sort of interaction on there and talk about some of the stuff that I've not been able to, to sort of talk about with Cahill this week. And then, you know, obviously next week we should have Cahill come back on. We've got the greatest heavy weights episode to record coming up very shortly we've got some new stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks which i'm really excited about and and as always thank you everybody because this weekend actually has been quite a good one because this weekend i've actually been able to speak to a couple of the guys that listen to the podcast a couple of the fans and the first one i'll give a shout out to is wayne copley now wayne's been following the podcast for for from quite early on actually and he's always been a fan of it and and how he appreciates listening to it on the drives that he has back and forth up and down the country and it's really good of him to to, to be able to actually meet him on uh friday at the ultimate boxer tournament and have a good chat with him about boxing he's a really top guy and i really appreciate having a chat with him and and obviously thank you wayne because you're always taking the time out of your you know your data to give us that feedback um I'd like to congratulate another listener in paul cuff who got married over the weekend he's going to vegas have a good time in vegas we also had jamie casmere as well who sent me a message over on twitter at the weekend when i was at the ultimate boxer show said this is the first time he'd listened to one of ours and realized it was me because we'd had previous interaction again jamie thank you very much uh, i hope you enjoy it this might not be the greatest episode in the world to to have joined us at but keep listening keep sticking with us because we'll have some great interviews coming up we'll have more and more people on the podcast coming up over the next few weeks and we just had more and more people you know giving us that feedback and i really appreciate it and what i would really appreciate even more would be if you go on things like itunes and subscribe and rate us because rating us does wonders for for where we're at and and, and getting the exposure out there because the more you rate us the more exposure we get the more we go up these charts and then the more people see us on the charts the more likely we are to get more listeners and the more listeners we get it means eventually in the long term we can start delivering more content for you because it'll start freeing up more time to be able to do that and I'm really, really excited for what the future holds for the podcast. But for everybody that's that's bared with me in this episode, thank you so, so much. And I hope I've not completely put you off listening to it. And I'm really looking forward to getting Coho back on. Uh, so guys, thank you as always. You know where to find us at BTR Boxing Pod, Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast on Facebook. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, CastBox, Spotify as well, Audio Boom, any good podcast app or any podcast app that you use to listen, you will find us on there. So thank you, everybody, and I'll speak to you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.